There's never a point we should move beyond this kind of weak, utter reliance on the Spirit of God, on the Word of God, on, an, on a deep refusal to rely on my own capacities to say something witty or exciting. And I mean, I can use my capacities with gratefulness, but never in a way that eclipses my sense of dependence on God. This is Matt Woodley with Monday Morning Preacher from PreachingToday.com, and I am here with my co-host, Kevin Miller. Kevin, great to have you here. As always, Matt. Hey, I want to dive right in today. I Right in. No no chit-chat. No, no, no nicety. No. How you doing? How's your day? We're going. Two guys talking about preaching. Here we go. Yeah. I, I've been wanting us to talk about a very important question for preachers, and as far as I know, it's one we have never covered before, you and I. What authority does a preacher have anymore? Why should anyone in today's cultural moment listen to you or me? That's kind of a harsh question. I think I'm brilliant and winsome and funny and all that kind of stuff, but you're right. What is our authority? What are we going to say about this? And, and your natural charm and brilliance as well. Yeah, well, thank you for the uh, compliment. But uh, yeah, you know, seriously, as you, you know, and I do, the church used to be in the center of the culture. And now that is so not the case. I mean, today, for a lot of folks, church makes them shrug their shoulders or spit. Yeah. So I looked up the Edelman Trust Barometer, which is a yearly report put up on an organization. And they say that 2021 reveals an epidemic of misinformation and widespread mistrust of societal institutions and leaders around the world. And they specifically mention religious leaders that we have dropped again in how people trust us as uh, religious leaders and preachers. So this is a problem that's been there and it's growing even deeper. It's actually also a very deep question, even if we didn't have this pressing cultural moment. And that is, you know, our Lord Jesus, you know, when he finished his Sermon on the Mount, as Matthew tells us, people noticed something different about him. He spoke as one who had authority, which was not like the way the teachers of the law did. And so there was something about the way that Jesus said things and how what he said especially, that when you heard it, you knew it was greater than you. It had this authoritative power over your life. I mean, maybe you could walk away like the rich young ruler, but you were ultimately responsible to it. And so then Jesus says, as the Father sent me, I send you. So if he preached with authority, as the Father sent him to do that, that's our goal too. And that's why Paul says we preach with Christ's authority. So I really think it's essential that we have it. And yet it's maybe harder than ever to know what it is we could base it on. Yeah, absolutely, Kevin. I mean, I just firmly believe that, and I know you do too, that preaching is through a flawed human being, and yet it is a word from the Lord for this congregation at this particular point in time. And it is a word with authority, or it's really no word at all. So, Kevin, how do we do this? How do we speak with authority in a culture that is having diminished trust in leaders across the board, including religious leaders like preachers? How do we do this? Well, do you remember that podcast where uh, you argued that a three-point outline makes a great sermon? I not only argued, but I convincingly proved. But yes, yes, I, I remember that very well. And you might remember then that I didn't buy it and I argued for a one-point sermon instead. I I, uh, I don't quite remember it that way, but yeah, I remember you thought it went that way. Yes. 
Okay. Well, pay no attention now to the fact that I'm going to lay out three points, <laughs> <laughs> three things that give us authority as preachers. Okay. I'm not going to say anything. Just, just no, I, I think I just did. Just, okay. Well, point number one. First, all right. Here we go. The authority of pastoral love, pastoral love. Back when I was working for a leadership journal for pastors, virtually every pastor I met as I would, you know, go around the country and interview pastors, like 90% would say they were above average in preaching. Ah. And, you know, I realized, well, that's statistically impossible, you know? <laughs> so, so what we did as a staff was we decided we were going to kind of check this out and ask their congregants how good that pastor preached. Because we figured their congregants would say, well, you know, my guy, okay, but he's no Andy Stanley. And, and, and we thought the perception gap would make for an interesting story. We sent one survey to the pastor asking the pastor to say how his or her preaching was. And then we sent three to five surveys mm -hmm. that the pastor passed out in the church that would evaluate the pastor's preaching. And those came back directly to us. And to our surprise as a staff, the lay people rated their pastor's preaching high. In fact, mm. very high, almost always much higher than the pastor rated his or her own. And we were trying to figure out why it was. And we finally came to this conclusion based on the research is that those people sitting in the pews are not doing some kind of cold rhetorical analysis. They're thinking... He was there when my mom passed away. Like he was there when our marriage was really in a hard place. And, and so that colors everything the pastor is saying to them. And so they see the pastor through the lens of all the relationship they have, especially as the pastor has over time sacrificed and a loving presence in their lives. So the pastoral love is sort of the foundation of your authority as a preacher. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, I wouldn't say it's the only one, yeah. but it's a very important one. Well, like, like what's happening as we sacrifice for our people is that our preaching is getting better. Maybe not technically huh. better, but it's heard better. Yeah. <laughs> because our people now are like, oh, he's the guy that really loved me and my family and has been there for us. It gives us a unique position of authority in their lives. Kind of uh, like what Jesus said about servanthood, it not lording it over others, but it's being a servant to others, and it's sort of the authority of the servant. So that's that's really powerful, Kevin. Yeah, well, thank you. And, and you know, it's changed the way I, I prepare to preach also. I have now added, as I do my exegesis work and preparation work, into my sermon template this question. Do I genuinely love these people? And, you know, as I have to answer that question ahead of each sermon, I find that almost every time I've got to do some soul work, some heart work. Like, you know, like some weeks I'm feeling anxiety because my last sermon honestly didn't go as well as I wanted it to. And so I'm feeling this anxiety of, oh, I got to really nail one so everyone will once again think that I'm awesome. Or maybe I realize as I'm thinking about this, I'm feeling some bruised feelings from a conversation with a parishioner earlier in the week. Or I'm feeling some self-pity about something that's happened in my life or my church. Now, notice these are all about me. They're not about loving the people. And so I actually spend some time in prayer as part of my prep, ridding myself as I can with God's help of these attitudes so that when I get up into the pulpit, I'm not working off anything toward anybody in the church. I am preaching with the authority 
of pastoral love. Yeah, that's awesome, Kevin. I remember at one point in my career, somebody took me aside and basically said, he found a really nice way to say, from the pulpit, you're, you're basically scolding us every Sunday, and it's really hard for us to listen to you. And that really woke me up. It's like uh, people will not listen if they don't know that they're loved or they'll have a hard time listening. Yeah. At that point, it's not about the word of God. It's about me as a preacher, not having this authority of love that you're talking about. So I'm not going to draw attention to your three-point outline, but uh, let's hear point number two <laughs> of this three-point outline. That was very subtly done. I didn't feel the dagger at all. Okay, the second <laughs> one is the authority of personal weakness. I really grew up on this kind of baby boomer model of ministry. And in that model, as I received it, mm. it really favored the large worship attendance church. And so the model for the pastor to get to that kind of church was that the pastor really is the most amazing person in the room. This is very high energy, the most visionary person, the most charismatic, seemingly omnicompetent, you know, and I wanted to be like that. And then I would read Eugene Peterson saying something like, the pastor should be the most ordinary person in the congregation, mm. unquote. And I think, well, that is poetic. I have no idea what you just said, you know. But actually, I have to say, at this season of my life, I'm really leaning into that and realizing Eugene was on to something incredibly important. As you know, I was diagnosed with uh, Parkinson's yes. three years ago. And, you know, my hand tremors and people can see that. And, and I immediately began to wonder, like, man, how much longer am I going to be able to preach? And I was just feeling so afraid and so vulnerable about it. And so I, I went to the board and uh, Karen and I sat with them and, and told them the diagnosis we had received. And one of our leaders looked at us and said, you know, you thought you came here to care for us, but maybe God sent you here so we could care for you. Mm, wow. I just began to cry. It was like the most Jesus-like thing anyone could have said to us in that moment. And how did that moment of his being like Jesus come about? Well, the immediate opportunity for it came not through me being amazing, but me feeling vulnerable, afraid, and powerless. And so uh, Paul, I think, is not just like a one-time situation when he says, I came to you in weakness with great fear and trembling to the Corinthians. I think God's intended means of preaching is that, and you and I have talked about that on a podcast, and I take that to mean there's never a point we should move beyond this kind of weak, utter reliance on the Spirit of God, on the Word of God, on, an, on a deep refusal to rely on my own capacities to say something witty or exciting, and mm. I, I can use my capacities with gratefulness, but never in a way that eclipses my sense of dependence on God. Yeah, this is really powerful, Kevin. And you're, you're hitting something. It's very counterintuitive to the way many of us have been trained in preaching or learned about preaching. And it gives us an authority that comes from a very different locus, a very different center, you know? Um, mm -hmm. So you're talking about love, love for our people and personal weakness. Not exactly where I thought you would start. This is really good stuff. Very countercultural, but very, Biblical and Jesus-like. So these are good words. Uh, thanks. Well, you know, I would I would suggest this for us, you know, because obviously I didn't want Parkinson's. Paul didn't want, you yeah. know, his thorn in the flesh or persecution or the other things that made him tremble and weak. 
But here's what I do think all preachers can do to access this is we enter what I call the weakness of dependent waiting in prayer before the text. Mm. And increasingly, we write our sermons less through like scholarship, like we're writing a grad school paper. Scholarship is good, but it's more coming out of our dependent prayerful receptivity before the text. We're not like a scientist looking down through the microscope and dissecting it, but like a kid on the carpet in VBS looking up adoringly at the VBS teacher just wanting to hear about Jesus. And, and we wait there until we meet the Lord of the text, until he gives us this burning kind of, kind of life-giving truth in our soul. You and I both know there's, there's preachers we admire, and you see that in those preachers. You sense it from them. It just kind of leaks out of them until yeah. they've, they've been with the Lord and the Lord of the text, and they have a word from that word of the Lord, you know, very powerful. Boy, that is so true, Matt. In fact, I, I've noticed that some of the preachers that we really admire deeply in our evangelical tradition, people like A.W. Tozier and, and Oswald Chambers, they do not follow what we would consider sort of classic homiletical approaches. Yeah. Neither one of them. They don't exegete a text the way we would expect them to, at least often. Tozier sometimes does. They just come with a word from the Lord, and it's still fantastic decades later. Right. Gardner Taylor was another example of that, just sort of mm. uh, beauty. Well, he called it uh, walking around the neighborhood of the text, you know, and he had spent time in the neighborhood of the biblical text, and it just kind of oozed out of him. So we have the authority of pastoral love, the authority of personal weakness. What's point number three? All right, we'll close with this one. The authority of proclaiming Christ. Wow, they're even alliterate. Awesome, amazing, audacious. <laughs> I see what you just did there. Nicely played. Well, <laughs> I love what Dietrich Bonhoeffer said about preaching. He said this, the proclaimed word is the Christ himself walking through his congregation as the word. Oh, boom. Say that again. The proclaimed word is the Christ himself walking through his congregation as the word. So I sometimes picture Jesus like walking down the aisle of our church, you know, touching somebody on the shoulder, leaning close to somebody else, whispering encouragement or conviction. I think this might explain why sometimes after a sermon, I know you've had this happen. I have a person will thank us for something we said during a sermon. And we know we never said that. Not, not, <laughs> not that way. No. It's like, where but, did but you during, the, during our sermon, Jesus was walking among his people and they received something that they needed. And so we cannot control or take credit for that. But we can, I think, do some things that will try to encourage that among our people. Okay, that's awesome. And I'm thinking about the passage in, in John, the Gospel of John, Jesus' discourse in the upper room where he talks about the Spirit himself will remind you of the things that I have said, and my Father will send this Spirit to you. So it's the whole triune God is involved in this, you know, so, which is beautiful. So what can we do to make this more likely to happen? If we draw on Bonhoeffer again, he said, you know, the proclamation of the Christ does not take as its primary responsibility giving advice, arousing emotions, or stimulating the will. It will do those things, but its intention is to sustain us. Yeah. So I go, I can go easy on helpful advice. Hmm. Now, this is really kind of a change for me because, again, I grew up in kind of the seeker moment um, where sermons 
were really structured frequently along those lines. And, I, and I'm not against counsel on daily living. Yeah. Proverbs is full of it. But that cannot be the meat and potatoes of our preaching because it's really not the meat and potatoes of the Bible. And Jesus really didn't come primarily to give us advice. I also try to stay away from being a little edgy, mm. kind of culturally edgy, or sometimes even, you know, uh, just hinting at the the kind of a knowing off-color or sexual comment. I mean, when I was in my early 40s, I realized I was tempted to be kind of... Um, stay hip, stay relevant, because I realized I was losing that and kind of established I'm still in the know, I'm still culturally relevant. And that just doesn't work. I could say a whole lot about that, but I, I'll just leave it there. Uh, so I don't, I, don't, I don't go along those lines. Instead, I just try to really dial up the prayer. I have a prayer SWAT team that I email and ask to pray for my sermons. I of course, I'm praying on my own. I'm taking prayer walks as I prepare my sermon. We have a prayer circle of leaders before the service. I'm entrusting that if this sermon's going to happen, it's going to come in large part because of the prayer that allowed Christ to reign through his word. You had this quote you shared with me. Martin Lloyd-Jones said that this comes from, um, the preacher must be a serious man or woman. He must never give the impression that preaching is something light or superficial or trivial. A preacher of necessity must give the impression that he is dealing with the most serious matter that men and women can ever consider together. That's, uh, that's weighty. Yeah. Yes, that is the immortal doctor. I, I believe I added, or woman, for today's context. But um, yes, he said the preacher should rule from the pulpit. <laughs> like a monarch from the throne. What he meant was, you're going up to proclaim God's word. This is a holy and serious task. And doing the, you know, hey, a funny thing happened on the way to the bar. You know, that just doesn't work. Yeah. Man, I, I think that's true. And I think in my younger parts of my ministry, I look back and say, sometimes I was just really way too flippant in the pulpit. I mean, it's it's humor is not a bad thing. It's not always bad. Telling personal stories that you know, kind of make light of yourself or self-deprecating humor. It's not always, it's not always out of line, but man, we're dealing with serious matters, eternal matters in the pulpit. So flippancy does not really have its place in the pulpit. So this is really good stuff. So Kevin, we got these three points. So let me ask you this, when you step into the pulpit, how does this change the way you, you preach? It has made my preaching more uh, pastoral. I really am thinking about different people in the congregation as I prepare. I would say it's made it simpler. I'm not trying to cram in as much information. And it's not unusual for me to like tear up uh, sometimes mm -hmm. in a message or sometimes I'll go on a rant. So it's, it's accessed a deeper kind of emotional life from me than I used to bring into the pulpit. So yeah, it has changed and I like where it takes me, but I'll tell you, it is a challenge. I have to live through that death cycle of the sermon and I have to live in that prayerful, weak dependence upon the Lord and the text in a way that it, it, every week there's a little bit of a death that must occur again. Well, preachers, this is a, this is a weighty topic. This is a sober topic because our culture and our people are longing and aching for 
a word of authority from a credible source, somebody they can trust, somebody with a heart of love, somebody with a life of integrity, somebody grounded in the word of God. So Kevin, thanks for bringing this topic to us. Really important topic. So uh, preachers, you do have the authority of the word of God, but deliver it with pastoral love. Deliver it with personal weakness, that dependent prayer and the authority of proclaiming Christ. This is Matt Woodley with Monday Morning Preacher. Thanks for joining us for this episode.